0: this is the retail podcast your b2b show for the best thought leadership in the industry bringing you education information and inspiration only on market scale.
1: We're on that third mega trend where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel they're walking into stores a lot more informed We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult you know every day is a challenge but that excites the customer they love that.
2: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. We've been away for a little bit. I apologize about that. But we're coming back with some excellent content that I can't wait to get into your ears. Coming up today, we're going to talk to Heather Watson. And she's a behavioral designer for the Center for Generational Kinetics. And she's going to join this podcast to explain the factors that she considers when evaluating why generations behave the way they do, specifically when it comes to buying behaviors and purchasing and that sort of thing. So we're going to talk about the power of social media that it has on these younger generations like millennials, like Gen Z, and how important their lives digitally are um, and, and why it is so important for businesses to be reaching out via social media to these new generations. So we're going to talk about that with Heather Watson coming up. That's going to be the first feature on the show today. And then our second feature is going to be a conversation that we had in the past with Kathy Thomas, the Chief Strategy Officer for Half Price Books. But I wanted to bring it back around because it seemed to fit the overall theme of the episode. We're going to be talking to Heather, obviously, about reaching out to younger generations. But uh, with Kathy, we're going to be talking about what has helped Half Price Books continue to be so successful. You know, it's a brick and mortar type store. You might think that with the rise of Amazon and some other places that Half Price Books would be uh, getting pushed out of the industry. But really, that's not happening. Uh, Half books isn't going anywhere and in fact they're they're thriving right now. So we're going to take a look at that. Why is that? And what is their business model and how are they able to continue to be successful in this age of Amazon that everyone is uh, is very very concerned about. So I think it's an interesting conversation on both ends just how to survive in this day and age and then how to thrive as well. So we're going to talk about that today on the podcast starting with my first guest Heather Watson coming up next here on the Market Scale Retail podcast. Heather, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today.
1: I am so excited to be here.
2: Well, I'm really excited to talk to you because I'm always really curious just about trends of different generations and how the different factors as far as how we grow up and that sort of thing end up affecting our buying habits or um, how social media has really impacted my generation being a millennial or younger generation. So... I'm really curious. It feels like millennials have been maybe the most stereotyped generation ever. Uh, In what you've seen, is that at all accurate or am I just being dramatic?
1: So you are being dramatic. No. It's OK, because <laughs> it. drama sells. I, um, I think every generation has a set of stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And generations, um, from my research, aren't boxes. Mm-hmm. They're just clues as to um, how we can predict a certain generation's behavior by scenario. So each generation has a set of parenting principles they grew up that were popular during their generation. They have technology they use during their generation and global events. And so all these conspire together mm. to create this um, multivariable situation where these generations grow up in and it does really um, affect how they think about the world, what technology they use, and how they approach um, brands and other, other types of buying and services.
2: Okay. So w- when you think about, let's start off with millennials. When you think about millennials, man, because I'm curious, because I am one, uh, and I'd like then to, you're the expert. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I think you probably know more about me than I do, but, uh, I'm curious then, like, what are some of those factors then? What are some of the things okay. that you, th- you think about, uh, when it comes to millennials and, and, uh, some of the clues that, that lend some insight into who we are as, um, as consumers?
1: Sure. So the first thing, if we, if we take all three of those areas, mm-hmm. um, parenting, global trends, and um, technology trends. Yeah. So we, we can look at all three of those areas and say, okay, here's some things that happened dur- as millennials came of age. Uh, the first thing was parenting. Most millennials were parented by boomer parents. And so some of the um, beliefs that came uh, across with boomer parenting was, it was so hard for me. I don't want it to be as hard for you. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna to try to give you everything to be successful. And so the whole entitlement stereotype that millennials get um, was fostered by their boomer parents.
2: So it's not my fault?
1: N- not entirely. Okay, okay. <laughs> you can always reprogram your programming, right? Uh-huh. So anyway, so that's kind of the first thing on on parenting. Also, um, boomer parents said, uh, never, never, never use credit cards. And so we find uh, an era of millennials with thin credit reports. Mm. Um, Secondly, the things that were happening globally, or at least in the United States, were that college tuition pr- prices were tripling. Um, the, they were de- the student loans were deregulated, so we had a lot of interest rate. And then also millennials came of age during the economic um, downturn. So we have stagnation of their buying power and their wages, and we have a um, high, uh, high debt load because millennials were also told get into the best college you can possibly get into, don't worry about the price, it will all take care of itself later, but guess what, it didn't. So now college instead of being $30,000, it's Mm $130,000. And instead of a 3% interest rate, it's a 7% interest rate. And so we have two kind of uh, big factors going on there in terms of their economic viability. And the third thing was, technology boom okay so this is when the iPhone was released um, Millennials got these in their hands when they were around 20 and um, there was a whole new kind of era of social visibility that, that came online digitally so this changed a lot of things about Millennials and how they perceive themselves in this digital world and so the whole digital social wor- world world um, kind of exploded at this time yeah so we have a lot of things going on with this generation so yes you can't necessarily say Millennials are this way that way, but you can kind of see the trends that were influencing them and how we got to today.
2: So specifically on the social media thing, I find that really interesting. For millennials, I remember getting Facebook and I remember, you know, getting an iPhone and things like that. For Gen Z and like the generation younger than me, it's almost something that's been ever present in their lives for the most part. How has that changed who they are a little bit more when it comes to um, their social visibility and what they like and that sort of thing?
1: So that's a fantastic point, and, and you're speaking to the point when a tech, when you can never remember a time before that technology was just something you used every day. Right, it's it's completely different. And so, uh, millennials can remember a time before the iPhone. They can remember a time before streaming Netflix. They can remember a time before Facebook, for uh, and they can remember a time before Snapchat. But for Gen Z, most of them got a smartphone in their hand at a very early age, 10. Mm-hmm. So this, just imagine a fifth grader with a smartphone in his or her hand. What they have access to is the, the sum of the global knowledge up until this point that's on the internet in their hand. They have the ability to, given their parents' credit card or Venmo, order anything from around the world delivered to their doorstep in two days or less. Uh, and they have visibility and have social friendships with people around the world. So what you have with Gen Z, if we go through those three kind of stages again, mm-hmm. which is parenting, the parents of Gen Z are different. They're not Boomers. They're um, older Millennials or Gen X. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a much different parenting prin- principles than from the Boomers. Right. 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 Um, then you have this technology piece we're talking about, and then we also have this globalization piece, and also AI. And so Gen Z is coming of age in, in just this um, amazingly dynamic time where they're living deep digital lives, their, their life digitally as, as important as their physical life. Like when we did a survey about, you know, how important is it that you got your first smartphone, it's up there with driver's license. Graduating from um, high school is number one, and driver license and smartphone is number two. Wow,
2: that's unbelievable to yeah. me. So then, with that being the case, um, what, type of uh, messaging and advertising can companies utilize that really reaches this this group is it all about social media and do companies need to go just full bore into facebook instagram snapchat and all of that sort of thing to reach this younger generation of gen z or is it something else do they crave something else that that actually reaches them on an advertising or a marketing level
1: Okay, so we have a lot of things going on. You're absolutely on the right track. Okay. So fantastic yes. analysis there. Okay. Um, so when we, ta- when we think about Gen Z and, and introducing them to brands and discovering brands and attitudes towards brands, um, social media is absolutely a category that companies need to wake up and realize mm-hmm. it's not just a social network, it's a marketplace now. Right. Um, It's a marketplace for a lot of different reasons. Number one, recommendations are one of the most powerful drivers of buying behavior for any generation, but especially for Gen Z. Because think about their teens, their friends mean a lot to them. And if they get a recommendation from a friend or family member, that converts into sales at a very high rate. Um, so when you're thinking online that social marketplace is a place where you can get recommendations from your followers You can create recommendations um, from your friends and your mom can give you a recommendation on social media, right? Like it's, it's a recommendation engine, right? So that um, is a, a buying um, Driver, mm-hmm. right? Um, the second thing on social media is it's not just a recommendation in industry. It's actually a marketplace so when we start when we ask Gen Z what was the last thing they bought and how did they buy it? You'll hear things like this. Well, I Google Tubed it. And I was like, well, what does Google Tube mean? Well, I saw it first on YouTube and then I went and Googled it and then I triangulated the data. She didn't say triangulate and they don't say that. But from a researcher standpoint, I realized that they're using Google, they're using um, uh, YouTube and, they're p- and reviews and they're putting all that information together t- to be persuaded to buy an item. Yeah. And this is, they can buy off of Google Of course, they can buy off of YouTube, they can buy off of Instagram, and they are buying that way. And since they're on their mobile phones, they have the highest usage of buying on mobile phones than any other generation because that's how they grew up, and that's what they're going to use.
2: Over time, do you find that the behavior of different generations changes as they age when it comes to this sort of thing? Or do things become pretty set in stone at a pretty young age and, and, and behaviors of of specific generations and people in those age groups tend to not move too far away from from these factors the that habits. you're talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the habits that they create when they're younger.
1: Okay, so that's a fantastic question. I'm not sure if we have enough time to go into (laughs) um, habit change by generation. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're speaking my language because as uh, someone who studies behavioral economics and habit formation and behavior, it's something I'm interested in and watch all the time. So is it easy to change a habit? Generally not. Mm -hmm. Um, The easiest thing to help someone change a habit is the environment. So I would say for habit change across generations, if the environment becomes a place where this habit is really, really ingrained, like a smartphone, like Alexa, where it really helps you to do something different in a meaningful way, then you're gonna gravitate and that habit will change. But if it's something that's not a meaningful difference in your life, it's gonna be a lot harder for that habit to change and you're gonna just go with all those neural pathways that you have laid down since you were a fifth grader with a smartphone in your hand. So that's a short answer is if the environment appreciably changes and gives the person a significant reason and benefit for changing, then they'll go down that path. And that's usually convenience, that's usually, it makes your life easier, it meets an emotional need that's very deep and and persistent, so all those reasons will kind of change a habit Um, but generally we revert to our current habit structure.
2: So you don't see the growth of you know digital platforms going anywhere anytime soon in terms of there's no importance. There's no putting that back in the box. Nope. Nope. Somebody asked me that the other day and I thought I don't I don't think this is going anywhere man you know.
1: Okay let's put it this way. A a third of teenagers or Gen Z spend uh, that are on their phones after midnight every night. Unbelievable. That is a powerful habit. They spend six to seven hours a day messing with their smartphones, Mm -hmm. and they're using it for everything, from ordering food to their friend's house when they're hanging out with them, to Snapchatting with 100 friends, to buying stuff from Alibaba, China, from China, (laughs) if they're willing to wait for two weeks, um, to um, creating content. Uh, This is a powerful tool. It's not going away.
2: Uh, Snapchat's the first piece of social media that really makes me feel old and uh, that I'm out of touch <laughs> and don't understand things anymore. Um, so that's it like cuts particularly deep for me. But um, what aspect of all of this you think is, mis- is most misunderstood by large companies? Um, you know, is it the value of Instagram or, you know, platforms like that? Or, you know, wh- what is it exactly that, that is often misunderstood that you have to come in and kind of correct some thinking maybe?
1: Uh, I think that big companies are very uh, used to create, create not creating new ways of doing things. So big companies have optimized a set of processes and procedures. And when it comes to marketing, that is advertising, shooting a TV show um, or a TV clip, um, um, all the kind of old putting something in a magazine, creating a TV spot. These are all kind of the old way of doing marketing. And I think they kind of have all those processes in place, they have those budgets in place, they have those people in place. And to say, oh, hey, most of your consumers are not in any of those places, Yeah, is hard for them. And then to ramp up a whole nother set of uh, digital processes um, usually requires a younger generation of, of marketing. And so digital marketing, remarketing, PPC ads, all, all these things, social marketing, content marketing, influencer marketing, that has proliferated. So digital market has just like fragmented in so many ways. I think it's confusing to know what you need and what strategy to take.
2: Absolutely. Um, What are you doing here at South by Southwest this weekend? And uh, where can people find more about you?
1: Okay, well, I'm going to have a lot of fun this weekend. But uh, (laughs) on on Monday, I'm giving a presentation about the future of wine and how the wine market can capture millennials and Gen Z dollars. Um, that's gonna I've be already exciting. captured all of
2: my wife's dollars. so
1: um. <laughs> uh, That's actually a key point. Women are wine consumers more than men are. So, job, um, job well done there. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So we're giving a, a talk on that. And um, you can find me at... Um, hwatson uh, uh, yeah H. Watson at genhq.com you can email me with questions and then if you're very curious about Gen Z uh, more about Gen Z and Millennials we have all of our research online at cgk um, genz.com so go to genz.com we have our white papers uh, search uh, CGK you'll find them there and there's like 80 pages of data that can really help you
2: I'm fascinated. And yeah. uh, we'll definitely be diving in and learning a little bit more. Heather Watson, thank you so much for joining thank us you. here on the Market podcast. Thank you. All right. You. Bye. Thank you to my guest, Heather Watson, for joining us here on the podcast. I love her insight and just getting uh, a little bit more information on what factors she considers when she looks at the difference between generations. I think it's absolutely fascinating. So we appreciate her time. That interview was conducted at South by Southwest a couple of weeks ago when Market Scale was there. If you want to hear more of our South by Southwest content, you can find it all over our, uh, our website. You can find it on our sports and entertainment vertical, as well as our software and technology and healthcare verticals. Coming up next is Kathy Thomas from Half Price Books. She's going to explain a little bit more about their success and how they've been able to maintain it and how they're continuing to grow in the age of Amazon. So that's coming up next here on the Market Scale Retail Podcast.
0: In an era of e-commerce takeovers, Amazon's retail reign, and the death of legacy brands, half-price books isn't going anywhere. Not only is the chain bookstore surviving while others like Barnes & Noble are floundering, it's actually thriving. Our guest today can't pinpoint just one reason for the store's success. Instead, she can rattle off a handful. Today, we're joined by Kathy Thomas, Chief Strategy Officer for Half Price Books, who walks us through everything from guest experience, community involvement, and smart stocking, and how they're all helping Half Price stand out among its competitors. Kathy, how are you doing today?
3: Fine, thank you.
0: So I was reading up on you a little bit, and you are involved in plenty of things. I mean, not only are you an executive at Half Price Books... But you're on the board of Feed the Children, which is an international child relief organization. You're on advisory boards for literacy instruction for Texas. I mean, a lot of really philanthropic kind of things. I mean, What motivates you in, in that direction to want to take your expertise and your time and give it back?
3: Well, I think it's real important for everyone at any level to be able to volunteer and to give back because my life is – I've been blessed in so many ways and – I've had great mentors throughout my life and I've had people that have helped me and I want to help them. And I think that if you can help with a nonprofit, their expertise, my expertise, sharing my expertise with the nonprofits, that's worth. They don't have to go hire a consultant. They can just ask me and they can ask me a question and they can um, I right. can give them some insights and I can tell them how I would do things. And that's saving them. And it's um, if it makes you feel good. But. Actually, it, and it's good for the organization, so it's a win-win for both of us.
0: And those are always the best, always looking for those win-wins.
3: Yes, most certainly.
0: So I want to dive into a pretty typical conversation within the retail space right now, which is the battle between brick-and-mortar and e-commerce and the fact that online shopping has become the norm. It, it's, it's winning in every convenience factor possible. Um, but brick and mortar is finding innovative ways to survive and to create a really mm, a really one of a kind experience for its guests and really transform what it means to be a brick and mortar store. Though you know we've still seen plenty of big names drop dead, which is unfortunate. But Half Price Books has survived and has actually grown in this really tumultuous period. So I'm curious to know why you think that is. Why do you think half-price books in a world where brick and mortar stores are closing left and right is actually surviving and flourishing?
3: Well, I think there's lots of reasons. I, I don't know how much you know about half-price books, but we're, you know, we're only in 17 states. We're a family-owned company, and one of our biggest advantages we have going for us, we don't have debt and we don't have to grow. And I think there's a lot of companies Big big box companies have to grow for to to keep their stock price up, and they have to um, answer to a lot a lot of shareholders. We don't. We're a family run business. We grow, you know, if we can afford it, and we know how much it's going to cost us to open a new store, and how much it'll lose money for how long. And we have kind of that money in the bank before we go down that road. And our biggest challenge now is. The hot real estate market there, you know, we've I'm going to Detroit next week and I've already talked to the broker and he's telling me, oh, I'm not sure you can afford anything in Detroit or in Grand Rapids. The real estate is just real because the economy is good and the real estate um, prices are high. You know, we are very um, tight with our operations and we, you know, are very conservative for our rent structure and we don't pay a lot of rent and we don't over um extend ourselves. And I think that is part of the reason we've continued to grow and been able to grow and be successful. And I think that there's a lot of things, uh, half-price books, 50% of our merchandise is used, we buy back from the public, and 50% are overstocks from the publishers. And we also have vinyl and music and um, DVDs and a lot of different non-book items in our stores for that shopping experience. But you never know what you get when you walk into our store since our merchandise comes from all over the world, literally. And I think that um, that shopping experience is what people love. But they also love our great prices, half price books. You can't, you know, the name is great and it and it says it all. But I think um, I think that's what's, you know, people want a deal. And with the Internet. Um, they're able to get a deal and they are very sophisticated shoppers. Like never before, when people walk in our store, they usually uh, know what they're asking for and they know who wrote it and they read the blog and our employees have to be up on top if they have to know more than the customer does in this day and age. For a lot of retailers, that's really tough because they're very educated. Um, The customers are. And they come in and they know that they can get it online for 99 cents or penny books and we have to be that much better and that much more um on top of our game and i think that's frankly all the the advantage of brick and mortar retailers is that we are our own worst enemies and we can actually be the best we can be and i mean we had a survey done years ago and the you know the average barnes and noble shopper buys 12 books a, a year our shoppers buy 37 So we are really the nerdiest book people around and we capitalize on that. And we know that we know our customers, we know what they want and we, we give it to them. And I think having insights into your customers and um, staying on top of your game and trying new things. I mean, we started doing clearance sales once a year. Um, in each one of our markets and we thought that would ruin our brand and everyone in the room was, oh no, we don't want to do it. Well, you know, it was, we were selling books at a convention center and made a ton of money and, uh, we opened outlet stores in some non-traditional stores for us. We're looking at doing pop-up stores in, you know, in malls or in flea markets. I mean, I think we're open to so many different avenues for, um, alternative revenue sources and that makes us nimble and quick and we can react and we're able to stay afloat and i think you know people are basically you know amazon started in the book business so we have seen and been a competitor for amazon for decades and so you know we we sell books on amazon we do we list our a bunch of our product on amazon and we sell it obviously on our own website. And we would rather have people come to our website than Amazon because the margin is so much better. But because Amazon, I mean, and I'm not sure if people understand about their fee structure, they take such a big percent um, of, you know, they charge us a certain percent to sell the book through their website. And it is it is high. And now now the tax, we used to be able to have to eat the tax for the customers, but now since the Supreme Court New ruling on tax: um, what what online businesses, you know, and how they can charge. They need to charge tax. It will help us. It will help um, retailers that have brick and mortar locations that were at a disadvantage. And because in some cities it's eight or nine percent, and if you can get free shipping and you don't have to pay tax, that was that was really a nice thing for customers.
0: Wow. Well, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean it sounds like there are a plethora of different things that are helping half-price books stand out amongst the competition. One that really stood out to me that you said was making sure that you have what your customers are looking for. And I think that it presents a particularly challenging uh, scenario where you know you do draw your stock from – I mean people trading in from, a, from different areas around the country – yeah, how do you make sure that you line the shelves with the content that customers are looking for uh, when you're so uh, when you're sourcing from you know secondhand books and from overstocks?
3: Well, we have 125 stores in 17 states, so we have um, all of our inventory online. So we do. We are. If somebody walks in the store and wants a particular book, we we do have a more than just a one store to look. Uh, to review the inventory. But we also, we do sell New York Times bestsellers and we do not sell them for 50 off. We sell them for 20% off. And that's because when we had some research done, we found out that our customers um, love us, shop us for the experience. They love to discover uh, a new cookbook or a new self-help book, but they also want that New York Times bestseller. So what they were doing was they were um, shopping in our stores and going in and looking for the new um, Patterson book or Stephen King book, and then going home and ordering it online. So we knew that about our customers, so we had to get in front of it, and that's why we started carrying New York Times bestsellers. We don't make a much, we don't make much money off of them at all. It was, but what we thought is that it would, you know, it's we were serving up something that our customers wanted, and we, you know, hope that they wouldn't go online and order. A book from Amazon, they'd stay and get that book from us, and then while they're there, also buy some other books from us.
0: Yeah, like uh, it's it's almost like a domino effect you're hoping for that laying the breadcrumbs for a customer to get into the store, and then once they're in the store, you sell them on the user experience. You know, on that really fabulous guest experience of of multiple things that you're offering. I mean, I know when I go to Half Price Books, I usually end up. Browsing the video game aisle and the records aisle, and I, I don't just stop to look at books because there's so much to offer, and all of it is high quality and is stuff that I end up saying, "Oh wow, I can't believe they have this in stock!" Like, why, like "Wow, they have this record here." I mean, I've bought uh, I bought this great Blind Faith record from a half price bookstore that was felt like a total find. Uh, some great Eric Clapton. So, I mean, yeah, there's there's always a hidden treasure at half price books, and I think that is what. Draws people in that you've set that standard as um, what people are going to get from that guest experience.
3: Well, and I think you know, but it's really hard for every brick and mortar retail, and not just Half Price Books, to get someone to get in their car and get get out of their pajamas, get in the car, and drive to the store. Because once they're there, they will find something. Once somebody is in our store, they will wander through the cook sec- cooking section, and find something. They'll wander through the history section, if they're a history reader and um, find something that they haven't seen or they wanted to pick it up. And because you can pick it up and went, you know, oh my gosh, it's a great book and it's $5 and it's under $10. And it's, you know, I mean, they're great finds. And the vinyl that we carry, there are so many great, wonderful finds that people can, you know, get and take home and enjoy for years to come. And so that's really the shopping experience is the number one. that all of our customers and they share their hauls on facebook and on instagram and um you know we have great customers and we have a great our customer base they're big fans of ours and they and we are a little bit different than barnes and noble or an independent bookstore and we we do things a little bit different our people are a little bit different our prices are low so we have to you know work harder at where we can um cut down on things and you know we don't have the same quality carpet as they do in barnes noble because we want to be a little we have to take the little cheaper route to be able to offer the great prices uh we're also a very green company we were started by back in 1972 in dallas by a couple of hippies and the daughter of one of the founders um she runs the company today she's our ceo sharon Anderson. And we have a philosophy, a give back philosophy. We donate a million books a year all over the world. Um, we recycle what we can um, because we want to, you know, we want to save the printed word. And we want, to, and part of the reason when we have these big clearance sales is do we make a, a bunch of money out of it? No, but you know what? We clear out a bunch of books. And from our standpoint, we're not throwing those books away. We're trying to get them in hands of people that um, want them. And and it's tough because a lot of people read fiction. And when, you know, has everyone already read The Firm? John Grissom's The Firm. They don't want to read it anymore. And what do you do with that book? Nonfiction is a lot easier because I think it, I mean, it has a longer shelf life. But um, fiction is, you know, there are so many. There are over a million books published every year. That is just such an incredible number and there's more authors now than ever before and that's because there's so many opportunities and it's so easy to write a book and be self-published and you know put it through have it listed on Amazon or uh, the different programs that are available to, to authors which is fabulous and fabulous because we're getting new voices but it's also so much product so it's a constant struggle for us just as it is in other bookstore chains to you know, what are you going to put on the shelf? Because frankly, if you've been to our store, people are bringing in boxes and loads of books every hour. And, you know, for us to maintain and keep that inventory is tough, especially when a lot of it is the same product over and over again that we're seeing.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Making sure that the inventory is diversified and actually representative of what people want to read. And, you know, I... I think what helps brick-and-mortar stores also survive is when they tap into niche audiences uh, that are looking for a particular thing that you can rely on. Okay, I'm going to be able to rely on this niche audience coming through and buying my product consistently. And I think with books, you get the opportunity to really tap into an education market. I mean I know – Every year when it was time for me to get my required readings, I was heading to Half Price Books and I was getting Dante's Inferno. You know, I was getting, um, I was getting To Kill a Mockingbird. Right, To Kill a Mockingbird. I was getting all the classics. St-
3: Lord of the Flies, you know I mean? Right, All the exactly. books that you had to read when you were a freshman or a sophomore or whatever it is. Right. No, we have, we have people that come and, you know, we tell people before you go, you know, and buy it new, you know, check us out first. Because nine times out of ten, we're going to have it, or one of our other stores in the cities will have it, or we can get it to you. And we're and it's half price. So I think uh, you know. And frankly, uh, we we also carry the New York Times new new bestsellers. And certain times a year, we will have that um, required reading. We'll probably have a copy of it new, and it'll be twenty off if it's not fifty off. And I mean, we have a quality standard. If you've visited our stores before you know we're, the book is in great shape a lot of people don't even know it's used um and i kind of you know some people are like i don't know if i want a used copy of anything and i'm like uh do you not go to libraries in your life
0: <laughs> yeah well honestly some sometimes that used copy of the required reading had some uh, some notes still written in there and i was like oh hey good for me i get some i get some free notes on on the literature i'm reading so that was always a bonus but yeah, no, it's 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 a cool find. It's like trading thoughts from one person to the next. But but yeah, I think I think with that, like, have you found that um, marketing? Half Price Books towards those niche audiences has helped keep it around, um, you know, like like making big events and big marketing materials out of, all right, it's back to school season. Come to Half Price Books for your school reading material um, or if there's, a, you know, if there's a big bestseller, maybe trying to get a signing and a Half Price Books. How have you found marketing and uh, tapping into some of those niche audiences to um, – how have you found that to help Half Price Books?
3: Well, I mean we definitely go after a niche market because if you read mysteries you're a certain personality. If you come to us for cookbooks it's a different a different personality. We try to get authors in our bu- in our stores all the time and we work with publishers. You know, frankly, the publishers are not sending out as many authors as they have in the past and it's 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 a price thing because there's not as many um avenues for them to sell the books, so they're not promoting you know, uh, they're promoting the big authors. It's, it's the less, um, less well-known authors that are having more struggle and that they're not putting as much money behind them to get them to do the author signings. No, we take any author signing we can. We want the authors in our store and we do a lot of um, blogs about it. And we have influencers that we work with on, you know, if it's a mommy blog, And we that, you know, the top 10 books you should read for a five five year old or if you're expecting what you should be, what books you should be reading. I mean, we try to capitalize and those are some of our most popular blogs ever is um, really important books for from an education standpoint for people to learn more when they're raising their children or they're going through um, battling a disease or, um, you know, I mean, I think that it's. It's something that we try to um, really reach out to different groups and we go after um, through Facebook. We want lookalikes for certain for certain product. But our online business, I mean, our online business, you know, most of the people that shop us at havepricedbooks.com are 30 to 45 year, o- year old. The people that shop us online are, you know, they're, they're 35 to 45 years old. And the people that visit our brick and mortar stores are 30 to 70. <laughs> so we have to market, you know, our different um, vinyl is different. is market differently than our books are. And our kids books are marketed to a different audience than, you know, our history books are. So we because the product changes and it's a little different we try to go after different audiences but people who love to read that's like uh usually the whole family reads if there's one or two readers in it so
0: right i love it well it sounds like another thing that's helping half price books stand out in this ever changing retail world of you know moving to e-commerce and amazon pulling a lot of uh, a lot of business to the digital space is building a community around the content, and it I mean, it sounds like the fact that you are wanting any author to get in there, you're wanting independent content in your stores. It sounds like you're really trying to empower um, up and comers, niche audiences, people that can feel like they can walk into half price books and feel represented there, and that helps add to that guest experience, which uh, which is really what brick and mortar is aiming to do now, is to provide that one of a kind experience that you're not going to get at any other store, and you're definitely not going to get off your phone ordering a book on on a Kindle or you know on on some iPad app.
3: Well, and I think it's it's bookstores inspire people and I think um cuz when I go shopping at our stores and I'm a big book person obviously but you know I walked by the cooking section and this was like last year and I see this Thai cookbook and I love Thai food. Well, so I pick it up and I start going through it thinking I could do this. I sh- I can make this. I think I can make that. So then I went to the store and bought all the ingredients and made it, you know, over the weekend. And I would have never in a million years on Amazon or halfpricebooks.com typed in, the, you know, um, Thai cookbook. I would have never been inspired to try something new or to challenge myself or, oh, wow, I think I need to learn how to crochet because I've done that with arts and craft books. I kind of walked by and I went, I mean, that's where I really kind of perfected my mosaic, because I, I do some mosaic tile work. And in it, it's walking by, looking at the book, going through it, getting inspired. You can't get inspired if you're putting an ISBN number in. You know, there's two kinds of shoppers. I think there's the shopper that knows what they want, especially our customers, a book shopper. I think it's different for clothing. But for us, if, if you are looking for a particular book, you're looking for the Stephen King book or the... Um, James Patterson book and you kind of put it in or you read it about it somewhere in the New York Times bestseller list or um, on a blog somewhere. And so you type it in and you order it and it's there. And then there's a million other books that are out there that really need to be discovered and the authors need to be discovered and you get inspired by them. And that you really get from wandering on the shelves of the bookstore.
0: Right, right. it's it's that ability to meander a little bit and let your mind take you to new experiences. And you know you you never know what book you might stumble across that really changes your life. And that's that those kind of little moments uh, are, I think, what keeps bookstores around, especially ones like half price books that really try to make that experience one of a kind.
3: No, I was just gonna say that, you know, half price books offer something. We had a customer once tell me it was like you have everything from my childhood to my future. I started coming here when I was a child. I went through a divorce here. I mean, to, well, I as a shopper and I, I went to the self help book to try to find it. I had um, one of my child had some um, issues with drugs, and I came to the stores to be get more information on it. I mean, it was kind of like uh, it's we touched his life over you know, 30 years. And it was just really interesting and poignant because I think that that's really a nice sentiment that our customers understand and appreciate what we offer and that we gain so much from them because they share, you know, he said, I got a divorce and I had to, I used, went to a bunch of book. And then when I remarried, I sold all my divorce books back to you. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. You know. <laughs> So for for, for someone else to hopefully get that advice. Yes,
3: exactly. So I think there's, you know, people want to share. I mean, I think regardless of the technology that's out there, people want to see people. People want to visit with people. People want to get insights from people. And I think that going to brick and mortar stores and having the right setting and what's unfortunate and what's so tough is, you know, because, um Everything is about the the bottom line and we all are, you know, rents are going up and payrolls going up and we have to cut the number of people we have servicing, you know, our different stores. Like I can walk into a certain retailers and I can't ever can't find an employee to help me. And I know that the problem is it's because these employees are hiring these customer companies are hiring part time employees to save on health care costs and, you know, benefits costs. They're not as invested as a full-time employee. And really, retail is struggling because of that, because they all want to do the right thing. They want to have that experience in their store for their customers. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is like, God, I can't hire that extra person who should be the greeter at the front door. I can't hire that extra person who can make sure the shelves are fully stocked, you know, 24-7. And, I, and that's our, you know, that's our challenge as retailers to try to get more for less and where we can cut we do and we are more efficient and we challenge ourselves over and over again. And the people I know in retail, you know, they are working hard at making their experience, their store experiences as great as it can be, but there's a cost associated with it and everyone's kind of bearing it and everyone's just trying to, you know, forge their... And I mean, you know, we've lost such great chains. I mean, that Toys R Us, I don't know what people are going to do this Christmas without Toys R Us. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so sad because my kids grew up going to that toy store. And I know that it's going to be, um, you know, Target will pick up some of it. Walmart will pick up some of it. It'll be a lot of stores. I mean, we'll pick up some, some of the toy business, but um, it's a great loss for the for the country and for future children to be able to have that wonderland of toys all in one place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is sad to see those, those staples of, of retail fade away, but it's great to know that, you know, we have people in the retail space like you and like half price books that are playing smart, you know, trying to be efficient and also trying to build that relationship with their customers to, make brick and mortar experiences never go away. And uh, yeah, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast to give us this this really potent insight on what helps half-price books expand. And hopefully our retail listeners can gain some insight from this. And uh, if there's any business owners out there who are struggling with their brick and mortar stores, then maybe maybe apply a little bit of what Kathy has to say, because I think it is working very well for you. So Kathy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Again, my colleague Daniel Litman for conducting that interview. And thank you so much to Kathy Thomas for joining us on the show today. That is all we have time for on this week's episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. We appreciate you listening very, very much. If you want more content just like this, head over to the Retail Industry page at Marketscale.com. Click on Industries up at the top of the page, scroll down to Retail, and you will find more podcasts just like this, as well as written content and videos. We also have a number of other industries that we cover, so if you're interested in the intersection of pro AV and retail and how LED screens are really revolutionizing uh, some of the brick-and-mortar locations and creating one-of-a-kind experiences, go check out our pro AV Industry page there as well. There's so much crossover between industries now days that uh, that there's a lot more content that uh, somebody in the world of retail can consume outside of our retail vertical as well. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast, I promise this time. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.